Experiencing God unreserved, we have said, is each one's agenda from now till we're dead. As we move from the fall to the bright Christmas season, we know above all, Jesus is the reason. Experiencing Christmas means something different to each. Some even say it must be shared at the beach. Here at New Life, we'll share some iconic symbols and such in hopes every life will be powerfully touched. What would Christmas be like without a gathering so real as the delicious, delectable Christmas meal? Of course, there are sounds, there are feelings and sight, but what would it be without the Christmas lights? Christmas movies galore, golly gosh, golly gee. And what's more iconic than a beautiful tree? We often get caught during the season so bright, talking about the sails and the snow oh so white. Of course, every message will help us with living and remind us only one gift always keeps giving. Merry Christmas. We're so excited that you're here tonight as we celebrate Jesus, as we put an exclamation point on our Experiencing Christmas series. Whether you're here for the first time, whether you've been coming for a long time, whether you're watching online with us tonight, we're so glad you're here. And as we think about the Christmas season, what we're going to talk about tonight is how Jesus is the best gift ever. That's what's going to be the focus of tonight. And that's why I said we're glad you're here to celebrate Jesus, not just celebrate his birthday. We are going to do that. We're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus, the baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. But we want to remember that because Jesus did come 2,000 years ago, because he lived the only perfect life that was ever lived, and because he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead to prove that he is indeed the Son of God, we can celebrate his presence with us anytime, anywhere. Now, I know that some of you are going to open up Christmas gifts on Christmas Day, and you're going to be disappointed because it isn't going to be what you want. And some of you are going to open up Christmas gifts, and you're going to go, wow, this is the best gift ever. But after a while, even the best gift ever is going to sort of, you know, it's going to either go out of style, you're going to have to have the new upgrade or whatever to make it keep working. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is indeed the, the gift that keeps on giving. So we're going to look at uh, our take-home point right now. For those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point we make in our messages from Scripture, and it's called the take-home point because we want to take it home and think about it, pray about it, and live it out in the week ahead. And if you've never been with us, uh, there's a, in your connection, there's an outline. If you like to follow along and have something to take home with you, there's even a fill-in-the-blank for those of you who like that kind of thing. And the first fill-in-the-blank is in the take-home point, which says this, we give gifts at Christmas to remember the greatest gift ever given is Jesus. So we give gifts at Christmas to remember the greatest gift ever given, Jesus. Depending on how old you are, you might think that Jesus isn't the best gift that was ever going to be given. Maybe you're looking for one of those bloom dolls or maybe you're looking for a Nerf Fortnite llama blaster in your, you know, Christmas under the Christmas tree or maybe you're a little older and you want a Google Pixel 4 or an iPhone 11, but whatever it is, you can't wait to open it on Christmas morning. The thing is, you can be sure of this. Jesus is the only gift that never rusts, never fades, and never dies. 
Jesus is the only gift that always keeps on giving. And the best thing is you don't have to wait till Christmas because Jesus is here with us right now. You can receive him into your life this evening if you've never done that before. So tonight, we're gonna turn to the familiar story of Jesus' birth from Luke's gospel. And before we do that, I wanna remind us all of something. Jesus never told us to celebrate his birth. He never said, remember my birthday. What Jesus said is, remember and celebrate my death and resurrection. If you read the four accounts in the Bible that tell us about Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection, what you notice right away in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is only two of the four even mention Jesus' birth. But all four of the Gospels, all four of those accounts of Jesus' life tell us about his death and his resurrection. Well, why is that? Well, it's because as exciting as Jesus' birth was, the, the reality is if Jesus didn't grow up and live the only perfect human life ever lived, and then die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and rise from the dead and then go back to heaven and send the Holy Spirit, none of us would be here tonight. I mean, there wouldn't be such a thing as a church if it wasn't that Jesus grew up to be the Savior of the world and the Lord of all of us. Jesus is the gift that keeps on giving. So only Jesus deserves to be celebrated, not just today, but tomorrow and forever. And as we think about it, Jesus is the best gift not only for each one of us, but for every one of us when we experience him as Savior and Lord. Savior means that he saved us from sin and death, and Lord means master or owner in our lives. So let's turn to Luke's gospel, and we're, we're going to do something we, we almost never do here at New Life. We're going to read from the King James Version. The King James Version, the reason we don't read from it is sort of hard vocabulary because it was translated in the 1600s. But the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, that familiar story of Jesus' birth, most of us have heard that account so many times, even in the King James, that we, we know what it's all about. And plus, the language is so poetic, so beautiful. We're going to use that. Before we do it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Not just the gift of his birth, but the gift of his life, his death, his resurrection. And tonight, as we turn to the account of Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear maybe for the very first time what Jesus did and who he is and why he came so that we can know your love for us, your goodness in our lives, and so that we can experience the life that is truly life through him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a couple verses at a time. We're going to look at Luke chapter 2, actually 20 verses, but we're going to take a couple verses at a time, and we're going to see why it is that Jesus is indeed the gift that keeps on giving. So Luke wrote, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So Luke anchors Jesus' birth in history. What Jesus wants us to understand is, Jesus is no myth. He's not a legend. He was born in the time in history when Caesar Augustus was the king, the emperor of the Roman Empire, and that was from 27 BC and to 14 AD. So sometime in that period of time, Jesus was born in history. He, God, became flesh and lived among us in a, in a period of history. Now, Augustus was the first, and some say the greatest Roman emperor. 
And he decided that everybody in the world should be taxed. Now, that doesn't sound all that unusual that a government official would want anybody to be taxed. But he wanted the whole world to be taxed, at least all of the Roman world. And so everybody had to go back to their hometown, not their necessarily their hometown, but the hometown of their ancestors. In the case of Joseph, he had to go to Bethlehem, which was the city of King David, the greatest king of Israel, because Joseph was of the line of David. And Mary was also of the line of David, which meant that Jesus was of the line of David. And that's very important because in the understanding of the Jews, the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word, or the Christ, which is the Greek word, which means anointed one, the one that God would send to restore Israel was going to be born. So Jesus was from the line of King David. So we can put a check mark in the possibility that he might be the Messiah. And of course, several Israelite prophets had made that clear. But in any case, Mary and Joseph had to travel 100 miles from northern Israel to southern Israel because Caesar Augustus said they had to go to their hometown. Now, we're told in the King James English that Mary was um, espoused, the espoused wife of Joseph and that she was great with child. Modern translation, she was Joseph's fiance and she was nine months pregnant. That's no condition to be traveling 100 miles on foot or best case scenario by donkey But she had to go. They had to go because Caesar demanded it. So let's move on. It says, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke packs a lot of information in those two sentences. First, he said, Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Actually, that's another prophecy that came from the Old Testament that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. So again, check mark number two, Jesus might be the Messiah because he was born in Bethlehem. He was wrapped in strips of cloth. That's what swaddling clothes are, strips of cloth. And everybody was wrapped in swaddling clothes in those days. It was a common practice. But Jesus was no common baby. Jesus was a king the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, and the reality that he was born in Bethlehem and, and wrapped in swaddling clothes like everybody else and actually put in a manger shows us that God was not showing any special favor to his own son when he sent him into the earth to become one of us. And then we read, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, I've said this on many Christmas Eves before, but if Jesus were my son and I was God, I guarantee you I'd have made a much bigger deal about it than God did. I mean, think about it. The son of the living God comes from heaven, and and what happens? An angel, one angel, shows up to a bunch of shepherds. Now, that's the part that I don't get. You see, I mean, if one angel shows up in the king's palace in Jerusalem, that's one thing. But one angel shows shows up to a bunch of shepherds. Now, we have shepherds in our nativity scenes, and shepherds are part of every Christmas pageant. But shepherds weren't considered great people in Jesus' day. Shepherds, first of all, were almost always ceremonially unclean because they dealt with animals. The next thing is, what is it they did out there in those places all night long anyway, you know? And when they came to town, you know they smelled like sheep. 
And they weren't even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. And yet God sent his messenger to tell the good news that the Savior had come to them. And, you know, they didn't receive it very well at first. At least they didn't receive the messenger very well. Shepherds were courageous men. They were very courageous because they had to, you know, fend off wild animals and robbers, anybody who was going to try to attack the flock. But we're told that when the angel, the angel appeared to the shepherds, it says in King James English, they were sore afraid. In the original Greek, it says, phobon megon, megaphobic. They were shaking in their sandals because they had never seen anything like this before. But the angel told them, don't be afraid. And then the angel said, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And that's why we celebrate Christmas. Because Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, came to earth to be one of us. And that's why we celebrate. And the interesting thing is, it says good news of great joy for all people. It doesn't say just for the Israelites. The angel didn't say just for you shepherds, but he said for all people. And then the angel's description of Jesus, I think was a little confusing to the shepherds. Think about it. He said the baby will be wearing swaddling clothes. Well, so would be every baby in those days. And then the baby will be lying in a manger. What? A feeding trough for animals? The son of the living God comes to earth and we're going to find him in a feeding trough? I'm pretty sure the shepherds were scratching their heads a little bit at that point. And then it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Up to this point in human history, when an angel came to visit, it was never more than, usually one, but never more than two angels came to visit the earth. But now it's, we're told, a multitude of angels came. They appeared to the shepherds, but guess what? They weren't talking to the shepherds. It says, what does it say? They were praising God. Their, their attention of this army of angels, the attention was on God, and they said, glory to God in the highest. And the reason they were saying that is because the God of the universe had opened the door of heaven and sent his only son to us so the door of heaven would be opened to us. It's a two-way thing now. We who are people who live on the earth one day can be in heaven with God because God opened the door to us. And so we celebrate Jesus' birth, but we need to celebrate him because he's the one who has opened the door for us. And then it says, peace. And I just want to focus on that one word, peace on earth. Really, peace? 2,000 years later, let's look around. We have nation fighting against nation, religion fighting against religion, political party fighting against political party, and we have, um, we have what? Parents fighting against their children, children fighting against their parents, husbands against wives. There's all this fighting going on. So were the angels wrong when they said glory to God and peace on earth to all? No, they weren't wrong. They were exactly right. They were exactly right. But the thing is, when they spoke that message, glory to God and peace on earth, something's important. It's up to us, and it still is up to us, to respond to the message and live it out in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to open the door of salvation to every person and to all of us, but we have to walk through the door. We have to say yes, and we have to live our lives in Jesus, two millennia after Jesus came to the earth, he is still the gift that keeps on giving, but we still have to respond to the gift. Just like whenever Christmas Day comes and there are gifts under the tree and one has the name Chris on it, I, I can look at it and go, oh, that's a nice gift. 
But if I don't open it, it's not my gift. I have to open it for it to be mine. In the same way, we have to open the gift of Jesus in our lives so that we can receive his life and his power. So the shepherd showed us how we do that, at least how it starts. It says this, and it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherd said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds didn't say, hey, Let's sit down here for a while and think about this. Let's think this through. Do, do you think that angel really meant that the Messiah was going to be in Bethlehem? They didn't say, do you think that was a real experience or was that a group hallucination we just had? They, they didn't debate. They didn't argue. It says they, they just said this, let's go see Jesus. Well, let's go see the Messiah. Let's go see the Messiah. And they ran to Bethlehem. And biblical scholars tell us, some say three, some say eight miles. Probably they ran in order to get to Bethlehem to see Jesus. But they, they didn't think about, you know, the optics of this situation. Okay, first of all, we got a baby born in a, in a manger. That makes no sense. In Bethlehem, one of the least important towns in all of Israel. They, they didn't talk or discuss any of that. They simply did something that I want to even highlight and underline. It's in your outline. It's this. They simply believed the message and acted on it. That's all they did. They believed the message and acted on it. Could you imagine if every person on our planet believed the message of Jesus and acted on it? If you did it, if I did it, that's God's plan. And the shepherds didn't stop searching until they found Jesus. And after they found Jesus, here's what happened. It says, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which had, was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. So it says, they made known abroad the saying. Okay, that's a little bit different English, isn't it? They made known abroad. What does that mean? It means they pounded on every door in Bethlehem that night. And they said, hey, the Messiah is here. The Messiah has been born. He's over there in the stable. You got to come and see him. And people did. People came and saw the Messiah. And it says that every single one of them wondered, wondered, W-O-N-D-E-R-E-D, -E -E wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Wonder, it means filled with amazement, filled with awe, filled with admiration. It means to marvel. And so I ask this question tonight, do you marvel that God sent his only son to the earth? I love Christmas. I love everything about Christmas. I love the food. I love the lights. I love the trees. I love the gifts. But when I think about what God did in sending Jesus, that the God of the universe became one of us so we can become one with him, I realize that Christmas is just the tip of the iceberg of what God did. Christmas, yeah, let's celebrate Jesus' birthday, but let's remember Jesus came as God's gift to the human race, and 2,000 years later, he's still giving. Jesus gives the hopeless hope. Jesus gives the hurting help. Jesus gives the one who thinks that there is no goodness or truth or meaning, goodness and truth and meaning. Every person who opens himself or opens herself to what Jesus offers receives a brand new life. In fact, Jesus said it best himself when he grew up as a man. He said this, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus didn't come to give us a better life. 
Jesus didn't come to give us the best gift under the Christmas tree. Jesus didn't come to wrinkle or iron out a few wrinkles in our lives. Jesus came to make us new. He came to make us new, to redeem us, to change us from the inside out, to free us from sin and death and to give us life. And he described that life that he came to give us with one word, abundant. The life he came to give is abundant. And it says the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The shepherds had been told about something amazing. The God of the universe had sent his only son into the earth, the Messiah, and they saw it for themselves. And when they went and checked it out, everything was exactly the way God had said it would be. You see, God never overpromises and underdelivers. Here at New Life, we've developed a culture where we don't overpromise and underdeliver. In fact, we try to underpromise and overdeliver in our lives. God is, is the one who showed us that. And if you're here tonight, and if you're looking for meaning in your life, if you're looking for purpose in your life, God, through Jesus Christ, will give you meaning and purpose. But I want to tell you what that means and what it doesn't mean. We're not going to tell you tonight that if you trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord for the very first time tonight, that when you wake up on Christmas morning, there's going to be a new car in your driveway on Christmas Day. We're not going to tell you that if you're sick, that you'll be better and you'll never get sick again. We're not going to tell you if you have some worries and concerns in your life that all your worries and concerns are just going to fade away. What we are going to do is we're going to give you a book when you leave tonight. It's a gift for you. It's called Whisper. It's a book about prayer and how God speaks to us. That's what we're going to do. We promise you if you walk out and you don't get one, it will be on you because it's back there and somebody's going to hand one to you. Every single person that wants one, that's what we're going to do. Now, I want to tell you about the shepherds. The shepherds went back to the fields and they were still shepherds but they would never be the same after that night. They had seen an angel. Actually, they had seen hundreds, maybe thousands of angels. They had seen the Messiah. Their lives were never gonna be the same. And all they did was experience the Messiah. Jesus offers us much more than an experience. What Jesus offers us, because he grew up lived that perfect life that none of us could live, died on the cross to pay the penalty that we owed to God and rose from the dead to show us that he's Lord and Savior in our life. He came to give us a brand new life, a whole new life. And, you know, he gives it to us without any question and without any, without any hesitation. And all it's gonna cost is everything. All he asks is that you give everything. And here at New Life, from September through next August, we're in this series that's a year-long series called Experiencing God Unreserved. That means experiencing God all in. It means that when we wake up in the morning, we're committed to following Jesus, to living in the power of the Holy Spirit. It means that we're committed to living a different kind of, different kind of life than the life that we inherited by being born into this fallen world. And, you know, we aren't going to, as I said, promise you that it's gonna be easy. Jesus was born in a stable, that wasn't easy. Then Jesus got to be a refugee in Egypt, that wasn't easy. Then Jesus got to be an itinerant rabbi, that wasn't easy. And then Jesus got to be crucified in our place. And that certainly wasn't easy. So if the God we serve had that kind of a life, we can't promise that our lives are gonna be easy, but I can tell you this, Jesus rose from the dead and after he rose from the dead, he appeared to more than 500 people. I know a lot of people think that Jesus only appeared to the 11 disciples who were left after Judas killed himself. You know, just a few people saw him. 
But we're told in 1 Corinthians that Jesus appeared to 500 people before he returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to the church. And he promised us when he left that he would give us that new life, that he would give us power, and that he would return for us one day. If you've never taken advantage of that promise of the new life that Jesus offered you, I want you to look at a prayer. It's going to be up on the screen right now. It's called a commitment prayer because it's asking you to make a commitment. And it says this, Jesus, I admit I am broken. I need you as my savior. I transfer ownership to you as my Lord. Come in and change me from the inside out. I will do whatever it takes to follow you. This I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Notice that Next to the last statement, I will do whatever it takes to follow you. That's not usually in a commitment prayer because that's a commitment. You know, usually in a commitment prayer, it's really a decision prayer. I just decide to follow Jesus, but it doesn't ask anything of me. But this prayer asks everything of us because we're going to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And if that's a prayer that, you know, reflects the desire of your heart and, and you've never prayed that prayer before, a prayer like that, I would ask you to pray with me now. Jesus, I admit I'm broken. I need you as my Savior. I transfer ownership to you as my Lord. Come in and change me from the inside out. I will do whatever it takes to follow you. This I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. We celebrate Jesus because he is the gift who keeps on giving. He gives us life now and forever. That's why our next step, and for those of you who are new, the next step is like the, the action point. What am I going to do when I leave here? So here's the next step that we're going to do as a result of making a commitment to Jesus. I'll remember Jesus' gift of eternal life to me when I see, give, or open Christmas gifts this Christmas season. I want you to enjoy the gifts you receive on Christmas and enjoy the gifts you give on Christmas. But every time you give or receive a gift, think about the eternal life that Jesus gives us because Jesus is the only gift who never rusts, never fades, and never dies. He is the gift who keeps on giving. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus came, that when we abandoned you, you didn't abandon us, that, that Jesus came and he came in humble circumstances. He grew up to be perfect and he lived a perfect life and then he died and rose again and God he's with you now because he returned to you and he has sent your spirit to us who believe in you so that we can live that new life that he promised to us tonight God I pray a simple prayer that anyone who made that commitment for the very first time whether here in the room or watching online that you would simply fill them right now with your Holy Spirit that they can start to experience that transformation that you have already worked in their life. And God, I pray for all of us who have made that commitment at some point that you would fill us new and fresh with your Holy Spirit, that we can serve you faithfully and that we can do whatever it takes to live with Jesus as Savior and Lord in our lives. We ask this prayer in his name, amen.